I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Dancing is that magical thing that, regardless of where you are in the world, which culture you came from, music and dance are just a universal human language. It's something that we all find joy in. It's something that we all belong to somehow. Now, yours truly, I'm a a dancer on pause, if you want. I don't, I don't know pause like a, not pause like your feet, but I was paused when I was in my early thirties. I may say I was a very good dancer before that. And then I think being stuck as a rat in the corporate rat race, if you want, just got me to lose that urge, no, that freedom to just go out and dance. And I think my guest today has a story that truly intrigued me because of that, because of my own personal dream of, of actually going back and finding that rhythm as part of me, as you may have heard me say before, fully embodying my feminine side. So Eleanor Salmon is a Franco-British author. She's a speaker and an expert in happiness and education and socio-emotional development. And she, I think, did what most of us would dream of doing. She left at the height of her career from the United Nations, where she was a happiness researcher, and decided to just go around the world and dance. Basically, she wanted to follow that passion of taking her body out of that desk and just feeling free. And she documented this journey in her uh, book, Finding Rhythm, which was published in March 2021. And it's a fascinating story about someone that followed the dream of leaving the job for the dance. Very, very, very intriguing for me. She then started by Lando Journey, which is a way to teach others to incorporate happiness into their values, into their habits, into their daily lives, to design their life for fulfillment, for meaning, for purpose, and to use dance as the pillar, as the cornerstone for that. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. It's selfish, to be honest, because I tend to believe that we're only complete when we fully understand the different ways of associating with our world, the feminine and the masculine. The masculine in terms of its linear attachment to the arrow of time and the feminine in terms of its ability to flow with the rhythm. And who would be better at explaining this to us than someone who left all of life to learn to dance? Eleanor Salmon. I was just saying in the introduction before you came that, uh, you know, I, I didn't know you, but in Munir basically said, okay, so Alinor is basically someone who left a very big job to go and dance around the world. And I said, I need to meet her. Absolutely <laughs> need to. <laughs> because I, actually, so, so again, I was saying in the introduction, one of the things that I've been working very, very strongly on is my feminine side strongly is, is a masculine word, but basically, you know, I'm really putting a lot of attention behind it. And I believe that rhythm, rhythm is a very big part of the feminine. I think I had one of those shamanic breathing practices and, and, you know, I, I was basically dedicating it to understanding something around flow. 
And I don't know how to explain it, but in a way I feel that the feminine perceives the passage of time differently, that the feminine is much more in touch with rhythmic cycles, if you want, and the masculine because of execution and operations and all of our focus on doing, 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 we end up really aligning more to the arrow of time, so linear time, the passage of time, and and rhythm and dance and music in general, I think is the only way for us to find completeness in a way. So I was very intrigued that you leave such a big job. I should probably say before anyone gets upset, when I say the feminine and the masculine, I don't mean men and women. I basically mean the feminine and the masculine, which is in every single one of us, including myself with this deep voice. Uh, you know, I I, be, <laughs> I believe I'm more feminine actually than I am masculine. But so 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 tell me about that. Who who does that? Who leaves the United Nations and working on happiness and wonderful job, and then goes to dance? What does that? What is that story? So this is how it all started. I've always had a very strong life purpose that I wanted to contribute to creating a better world, and it was my dream to enter the UN. I had told myself, everything I'm doing is working towards this. I had a wonderful job, wonderful colleagues. I was working on very interesting research projects, including um, all centered around the reform of education for the future society that we need. So I was working on education for peace, uh, well-being, gender equality. In the end, they're all working on developing skills and competencies in young people that, that we need for the future. And especially now with the technologies and that we have, we don't no longer need people getting straight A's in exams. We need people who are able to solve problems, to think critically, to work as a team. And so out of this work on education for peace, which has been a central part of UNESCO's work, I had a really wise mentor who decided that we should do something for happiness. Um, we were based at the Asia Pacific Regional Bureau, where as you may know, there is huge pressure on young people to perform in exams. Yeah. And most of the yeah. time, the first in their family to maybe go to university. So the university entrance exam is placing so much stress to the point that we have been seeing increased uh, suicide rates among young people and depression and stress. And we thought this simply cannot be the case. Learning should be a joy. Learning is a privilege. So he said one day, okay, I have an idea. It's called Happy Schools come up with a concept. And so, of course, the light went off in my head because I love developing concepts. And I started getting deep into studying happiness for the first time. So I was using positive education based on positive psychology. And the more that I studied happiness, the more that I realized that after a series of sad events, which, as you know, sometimes grief allows us to reevaluate life, my mentor ended up disappearing. I fell in love and was ghosted. And then I lost my grandfather, who was my father figure, all within the space of six months. Now, many people ask me, oh, were you depressed? And I would say, no, actually, I wasn't. But because I was feeling something, I was feeling sadness and I was feeling grief. And while all of this is happening, I'm working on happy schools and studying happiness mm. and progressively getting sadder and sadder. Uh, mm. To the point that I hit a moment where I thought, okay, something is wrong. I cannot be reading about happiness, giving speeches on happiness, making presentations, publishing research on happiness if I am this sad. Good point. Yeah, no, exactly. How could <laughs> I continue? It didn't feel authentic to me to keep preaching about happiness when I was so sad. And so I had a conversation with a friend and I said to her, I was just thinking, what could bring that life in me again? Because I felt like there was just emptiness. And I thought, okay, what, what would you do if you could do anything without the limit of time or money? These are the two limits many people place on themselves. And she said, I know, I would swim with whales in Papua New Guinea. And I thought, okay, that's a, a great idea. But I didn't expect her to return that question to me. And here I am, you know, a happiness expert who cannot answer this question of what would make them happy. And so I closed my eyes and I, I remember this moment so vividly that I looked into my, I, I listened to my heart and thought, what would make a little flame light up in you? And as I closed my eyes, I started seeing my body liberated from my desk. I, I started seeing this movement reverse from hunched shoulders, you know, like so many of us are hunched 
to opening my shoulders, opening my chest, being open to other people, connecting with other people, looking them in the eye, holding their hands and dancing in the streets. And I just saw myself in Cuba speaking Spanish and, and, and dancing. And I thought, okay, I would take a break to learn how to dance because I think that the moment in which I feel the most free and alive is when I dance. But I, I didn't really have any dance experience. So it was dancing in general, but this dream was more, I want to learn Latin American dances with people from those countries. I want to see life through their eyes because to me, I always had an impression that Latin Americans are very happy. So I want to learn their secret. And so I left everything behind. I left my job. I sold my belongings. I took all my life savings that I had. How old were you at the time? I was 29, which I believe Oops. is the same age you were when you had your midlife Oops. crisis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's the age. <laughs> and you sell everything, you leave your job. And where did you go to? So I started off, I designed an itinerary from north to south, from New York down to Mexico, Cuba, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Colombia, Brazil, and Argentina. Wow. Okay. That's every possible dance I can think of now. I mean... Uh... All the ones I wanted to learn. But of course, uh -huh. you know, the idea was eight months, eight countries, or eight destinations, and eight dances. But life always has a way of, of changing things. <laughs> and of course, I ended up learning 18 dance styles. Did you? In how long? 10 months. Oh, that's grueling. Why would you do that in 10 months? It was an accident. I never had the intention to learn so many. Uh -huh. And in a way, I would say there were some dances that I spent more time on that were more effort than others that were perhaps easier to pick up. But uh, most mm. of the time, for me, dance is an incredible lens to understand people and their culture and their way of life and their perspective on happiness. And as they took me under their wing, someone would lead me onto someone else who said, but can you just learn one more before you move on to the next country? Mm. And that's how it ended up going to 18. That's incredible. Okay, so you must be the holder of the secret of dance. Explain this to us. Why? Why is it so important for our life? So... I have tried so many different tools for happiness, and I have not found anything as complete as dance. Hmm. That's a big There statement. are many reasons for this. I believe that first and foremost, and, and I'm, I'm very much into partner dances, but I also dance alone. So for instance, uh, partner dances would include salsa, tango, bachata. Solo dances would include carnival-style samba, for instance. Now, for me... The secret behind dance is that it is a very powerful form of human connection in a world where we are more often looking at our screens than at each other, more mm -hmm. often with our hands wrapped around our phones and devices than holding the hands of another. And mm -hmm. there is something so incredibly powerful about dancing with someone that has a completely different life to your own, a completely socioeconomic background, a completely different age, um, in a completely different country. Sometimes there may even be a language barrier. But for the time of a song, you'll look into their eyes and you hold their hands. And for that, that song, everything feels right in the world. And it's a very special feeling. Oh, wow. That, that's an incredible description. So it's not about the rhythm to you. It's about the connection. This is just one. Um, I think it's probably the most important is this need for, for deep connection and a sincere connection because people are overconnected, but are they connecting in the deepest, most authentic way with each other? The rhythm is another important point. I'm not Latin American and you re there really is a difference between Latin American people who grew up with this music. They have the rhythm in them. As they mm. say, they have it in the blood. That's the way that they say it in Spanish. But um, I've been told that I now have that too, but it took me years of, of getting there. But then there's the connection to the music, the connection to the rhythm, and then the play of how will I move my body to different instruments or to different, will I take this piece of the rhythm and, and play with it in a certain way? So it's, it's very much a connection. You have the connection to the other. You have the connection to yourself and you have your connection 
to the music and rhythm as well. Mm. So solo dance, whether you do that in a carnival or in your kitchen is basically a way for you to connect to the rhythm and to yourself. While, you know, Absolutely. if you're dancing salsa, you're really trying to, I mean, is it true that you can actually connect to another person or are you just in the dance when you're salsa dancing, for example? So I really believe that every single dance style has a different energy to it and can bring you a different emotion. So for me, salsa is a very extroverted dance where you put your okay. energy outwards. Um, mm -hmm. Tango is probably the most emotionally intense dance I've ever experienced where you're taking energy and you're bringing it inwards um, and really grounding and pushing into the ground. And, and in terms of connection with another, of course, it depends. Before COVID, I would dance maybe with 30 strangers in one night. And it was such a, a feeling of humanity that I could share, that we could all share this energy with each other in a way that was safe, that was non-judgmental. But of course, it depends. Not every dance is, is going to be pleasant. Sometimes you do end up dancing with someone who is close to sharing that energy. And when I first started, I was very much like that because I was scared. You mm. have to be incredibly vulnerable when you dance with someone. You're, you're giving them your balance. You're giving them your hands, you know. It's, um, mm. You remind me, I had a friend of mine, a Polish young lady that actually worked with me at Google at the time. And I was very close to my teams everywhere. And so we were having dinner one time with the team and she was like, you know, you, Mo, you, you seem to know things. I want to ask you a personal question. And I said, yeah, go ahead, sure. And she said, I'm failing to find love. I get in and out of relationships and they don't seem to be the right person for me and so on. And so I said, okay, I mean, I'm not the expert. At, at the time I had been married for 25 years, one wonderful woman, totally committed. So I wasn't experienced in how love is found in that age and time, if you want. But I knew one thing that my ex, which I always say is the most wonderful person on the planet, and I really, really were into the same things, into the same spiritual things, into the same music, into and so on. And so I basically told my friend, I said, if you want to find love, do things that you love. And that's all I said. And, and I actually forgot about it. And then four years later, she calls me and she says, I married my dance teacher. And I was like, oh, congratulations, this is amazing. And she said, you told me at that dinner to go and do things that I love, and I love to dance tango. And the reason why I remember the story is because, as you rightly said, she basically said, and tango is so emotionally intense that you almost fall in love with that person that you're dancing with. And, you know, I was like, oh my God. I, and I studied tango. Of course, I, you know, as I was saying in the introduction, something in my, in my, my rhythm is perfect. I still play music and I love music in every possible way. But I think the part in me that broke when I started to become a rat in the corporate maze, if you want, is I believe playfulness, that part that you just mentioned, that went away. The idea of, I think the executive lifestyle makes you aware that everything that you will do, every sentence that you will say will be perceived by your team as a signal and as a as an indication for something. So I ended up in that place where I basically started to be always perfect, always proper, always, you know, not as playful as I used to be. And I think that's when my dance career, if you want, ended. And uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. I mean, when you said playfulness, I was like, oh, that's a big part of what we need here. It really is. And actually, I was just having a, a discussion with a friend, um, the same friend who, who introduced me to your work, actually. And we were talking about why have we lost our sense of play? Mm. Um, and I always say that if you want to spark more enjoyment and, and more joy and excitement in your life, you have to get back to your creative play. And mm. we were trying to break this down. And it's true that by playing, you're taking a risk. There's always an element of risk because it means doing something that is not planned. We live in an overly planned world. The risk of, of being vulnerable in, in you might do something, especially if you're in a leadership position, you might think, oh, what would people think of me if I'm silly? Mm. Mm. People won't take it seriously. <laughs> I'm very silly. I'm very silly, but not in front of the team. But why not? Why aren't we more like that? 
Is it because I know, people I know. respect us uh, when actually why can't things be fun and, and mm. silly and, and, and ridiculous? I mean, I'm a big fan of being ridiculous. I, I think that's that's the way that I like being playful uh, by making bad jokes and, and skipping in the street sometimes in public. And I don't really care because this journey taught me how to no longer care what other people think. Because most often when people see someone being silly, what are they thinking? They're not judging them. They're thinking, I wish I could do the same. I'm totally with you, 100%. And also, I think being silly is is a sign of confidence in a way. It's like, you know what? I'm completely okay with myself being myself. And we all know that it, we all wish deep inside if we were kids again, if we could play again, if we could just be not restrained again. And I think dance is probably one of those very um, successful ways of finding that feeling maybe, especially if you're not dancing to achieve anything. I mean, one of the interesting yeah. things when, again, about your journey is I, it reminded me of, of Tim Ferriss and his uh, work on the four hour work week when he basically started to say that, you know, when I had more time, I had to go and win a salsa championship. And I'm like, why would you do that? Why, do, why don't you just go dance salsa and just enjoy life? You know, it's, it's absolutely okay. Uh, but it's yeah. because, because of that lack of pay, playfulness. I mean, we set it even as a target to dance and win uh, at, at a salsa competition. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I kind of have two perspectives on this. Uh, the first one is whenever anyone asks me if I want to progress, and you know, the beautiful thing with dance is you'll never reach an optimum. You could spend the rest of your life dancing and you're, you could always improve. It's, it's really one of those magical things. Um, for me, I dance because it makes me happy. It brings me positive emotion. It, it brings me a sense of connection. I don't dance because I want to be the best dancer or because I want to, to show off my skills. On the other hand, uh, appreciation of beauty is a component of happiness. It's one of the character strengths in positive psychology, appreciation of beauty and excellence. And in that sense, I can really appreciate there's one style of dance from Colombia that I really love called Salsa Calenia, which has a lot of footwork. And as I practice it to get better of it, I see how my body is learning to control time and movement and space and it's that ability to do all these things with my body where there I can appreciate it looking good. Mm. But it still feels play playful, actually, despite of that. Mm. So mm. I think that generally allowing ourselves to just express our emotions, dance is a great tool for that. It helps you identify emotions in your body. It helps you process them. It helps you express them. And it helps you release them in a way that no other form of exercise really does in quite the same way. I'm 100% with you. Have you done those, uh, I don't know what they call them, five rhythms, uh, you know, the exotic dance? I don't know what it's called. It's called five rhythms, isn't it? Like, you know, they play music and you do whatever you like. Ah, oh, you mean ecstatic dance? Ecstatic, yes, yes, <laughs> ecstatic. That's the one, not exotic, yes. Yeah, I mean, um, for me personally, I like it, but I connect much more with Latin rhythms. Um, because I feel that I'm more connected to the music and the instruments and I want to see where is this trumpet going to go and mm -hmm. what does that make me want to do with my body. Um, in tango, I could like follow the trail of a violin using my, my leg and, and I love that kind of musicality and creativity in a static dance, I think is really good for getting back really into your body and expressing yourself yeah. freely without any restrictions whatsoever. Latin dance does have some structure to follow guidelines yeah guidelines but then you can play with them you know it's only at the beginning that you have to follow them and once you have that basic structure it's like learning a musical instrument then you're able to paint the music using yeah. your body in so many wonderful ways so ecstatic dance i think has helped a lot of people to get back in their bodies because the problem is that everyone is in their mind mm. so let, let's talk about the journey itself i mean do you ever miss the UN? Do you ever tell yourself, uh, I shouldn't have done that? Um, I mean, I suddenly gave up a very stable life and very promising career. I mean, I was at the peak of my career, actually, at the moment that I left. And mm. and for many people, it may have seemed like, um, like a very big risk, but I have absolutely no regrets. And until this day, it is the best decision that I have ever made because 
I am so committed to spreading happiness in every way, shape or form using my background as a researcher and embodying it in real life. I want to take these theories off the paper and show people how you can actually live them. And dance is a tool for me that is very powerful, but there are different tools for different people. And I feel that I'm able to have perhaps a different kind of impact at least. Mm. I'm still able to work for the UN as a consultant, which is wonderful because then I can continue with research projects. But I do feel that I have opened a new world of, of, of ways of reaching as many people as possible because we share the same life purpose, which is to transmit a message. I see myself as, as just a messenger, a vessel, really, that's there wishing for every single person to live a life that is meaningful and that has purpose and that is fulfilling because we all deserve happiness. I totally I'm, I'm with you. I want to come back to that purpose in a second and, and the work that you're doing. But I think everyone listening to us who is stuck in a job is probably questioning in their mind, yeah, there is something I love. Maybe I want to go dance. Maybe I want to go follow art and culture. Maybe I want to take a year and learn to surf. Maybe I want to start a foundation, whatever. Now, the dream, I don't want to be blamed as, as Mo and Slow Mo to tell people, hey, leave your jobs and do those things. The dream is one thing and the execution is another thing. Tell us some of the challenges that you faced on this path and would there have been anything that you would have done differently? Maybe started six months later, invested differently, spent your money differently. Anything that you've learned on that path? So that's a really good question. I mean, if I think back to how I planned this before, I mean, the best, what I always share is that I had the idea, but I left nine months later. Okay. I didn't leave just like this. I knew that I needed a plan. I needed to be prepared. So I'd already been saving for a few months, but in total, it was one year of savings and really working towards this using air miles nearly almost all my flights were, were booked with air miles which I never knew I could even use but it suddenly took me on this journey I was very careful to make sure that every project I worked on was wrapped up and and out in the world and and ready and really I I'm still with wonderful relationships with my former colleagues so I really don't have regrets. I would say that afterwards, I mean, this was an experience during which I didn't want to take on too much work because I, I was out and, and wanting to experience everything as much as possible. But then, of course, I would just say it's, it's an element of risk. I came back with no money, with a maxed out credit card. I started writing my book in, in my mom's house. <laughs> so I was back at my mom's house. But honestly, I was so emotionally rich that I, I just have absolutely no regrets. The advice that I would give to others is, I mean, of course, there are very high stakes. As you said, one thing is to have the dream, the other is the execution. Overcoming fears is a big thing that I like to work on with people because actually it's not as scary as we think. I was worried what people would think of me, whether I would be taken seriously for leaving behind a career that thousands of people would want to replace my job the next day to go and dance around the world. And you know what? I, I feared the, the judgment of others so much that I, instead I made enough, I just said, I want to work remotely. This was before remote work was a thing. Everyone knew I loved Latin America. So it wasn't a surprise to them when I said, I want to be a freelancer working from Latin America. But eventually when, when the story of dance started coming out from social media, everyone was very happy for me. We always think people will judge us, but actually employers, wish one wish they'd done it themselves or yeah. two when you go back into the job market they actually think you have a richness of experience to contribute so taking a career break is is never a waste or you can always go back all those years of experience that you've had have not just disappeared overnight yeah i think that's an incredible way of looking at it i mean i have friends who are incredibly successful and rich i mean rich right? And when you tell them, take a break, they'll be so afraid. It's like, what will happen? How will I ever get back to work? What if I run out of money? And I always say, just have six months of savings beyond the time when you decide to go back to work. And someone with experience 
is bound to find a job. Even if it's not an amazing job like the one you have now, it's not like you're going to starve to death if, you've, if you're good at what you do. The other interesting side of this is you, you mentioned the richness of experience. Actually, when we used to hire at Google, this was a very big thing for us. You know, someone like you who just traveled the world and met people and, you know, did something she believed in and really chased her purpose and, and actually did something. This is an amazing person. This is not someone that you meet every day. And it says a lot about that person's leadership, thought leadership, commitment, and so on and so forth, which I think most people don't realize that being another accountant going to work every day might not actually be as powerful as, hey, I did my own accounting and found a way to give myself a year of a break where I followed that purpose and I did really well at it, right? I think that's, um, let's talk about, I want to talk about the book and I want to talk about Bailando Journey. And I, as I always do, I want to start with the why, not the what. I mean, you told us a little bit about finding rhythm, your book, you know, your story basically, which was what was documented in your book, but why a book? I mean, you're now back in the real world, sort of real world, and you're now at your mother's. Uh... <laughs> so for, for those of you who are not watching us on video, listening to the audio, uh, you know, there was a big head shake here. <laughs> so it wasn't in the real world. <laughs> Uh, tell me about the book. So where was that triggered? Why did you do it? And, you know, what were you trying to get out of it? So that's a really great question. I originally had no intention of, of writing a book about this journey. I just, I really just wanted to walk out of, liberate my body from my desk and just dance for a year nonstop and feel completely alive. While I was living in Bangkok in Thailand, which was where I was, I was based, a Mexican friend of mine who was one of my keenest supporters, and she's in the book as well, Ariana said, I really want to introduce you to someone. And so she introduced me to this legend, urban legend of Bangkok called Joe Cummings. And Joe Cummings is one of the first ever travel writers for Lonely Planet. Mm. And so I, I met him. She literally pushed me into him. And I mean, he's, he worked with Anthony Bourdain. He's, worked, he's been a guide to Mick Jagger and to like these kind of rock and roll guys. And she said, tell him your journey. Tell him about what you're, you've got planned. So I tell him, okay, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to dance through Latin America. And he said, oh, you should write a book. And it just <laughs> jotted me because I was like, oh. And I said, me, a book? No, come on. And he said, well, do you know how to write? And I said, well, I write for a living, but I write research reports and policy reports. And he said, you can write, write a book. And it really is something that I've kept in mind now that I want to become that person that will tell people that will be the mirror to tell them what they are capable of because he mm. changed my life mm. by saying Absolutely. that to me. Mm. I have loved creative writing my whole life. As a child, I started reading before I even went to primary school. I would lose myself in novels. I loved reading so much. And I'd always had this kind of childhood dream of becoming a writer one day, but the conditioning of society told me to put that aside. If I studied English literature at university, I wouldn't get the best job. Even though it was the subject in which I performed the best and what I loved, it just all suddenly clicked. Wait, this was something that actually meant a lot to me in my childhood. And maybe I should. So I met him for a beer and he said, okay, you need to just keep some notes. Make sure you keep a record of Write down your feelings as you go through this journey. And, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't yet started a journaling practice. Now it's a very big part of my life. But back then I hadn't. So I thought, oh, okay. And um, I documented the whole experience on, through video, photos, interviews. I was making notes on my phone during some of the nights, even when I was dancing. I'd be sometimes on my phone writing and thinking, oh, <laughs> I'm not being present, but I also want to record this. And then when I got home, so this is now in August 2017, I started writing and, and the book came out. It took four years. I was really committed to this book coming out into the world because I wanted to share the beauty of what I had discovered, of the incredible power of human connection. It's Even if you don't dance, it's still a book that is a journey towards happiness. The journey, and towards yeah. Following your own path that is a huge risk and against everything that society would tell you to do. And so I just kept writing and writing and eventually I found an agent and then 
during COVID, I was uh, editing. It really reads like a novel. So it allowed me to tap into that creative. Oh, that's so beautiful. Diet, um, mm. Because it's all a true story. There, There's a lot of historical facts and culture, but I've made it in a way so that it's almost effortless to read. I want it to be very easy to read because these dances have fascinating histories, but they're sitting in academic textbooks that are filled with dust in a library that maybe nobody will ever read, but these stories are worth sharing, you know? Like these dance that every time we dance these dances, we're we're printing history with our with our feet, you know? It's it's um really important to honor how they are a reflection of society over time that is expressed through music. So it's not just your journey, it's the journey of those 18 dances as well? Yes, absolutely. It's discovering what each dance can teach us about life and allow us to express. I also found it really interesting to take different theories of happiness and then apply them to the process of learning to dance as an adult beginner and seeing, oh, actually, I can become better at other things in my life by dancing. It's also an incredible window. And I like to call it as a, for me, dance is a lens that allows you to see the world in a different way. For example, if I go to Colombia and I learn the national dance, which is cumbia, there's always different theories over the origin, but it's very likely that the basic step represents a slave's feet in shackles because only one foot goes forward and the other one drags aside. And it's all the moves are representing the slaves have to carry things on their on their head. And it's, there's a huge amount of then you end up learning so much about that country and, and its history and and the origin and, and and what I found so fascinating across many of these dances, almost all of them were born from pain and suffering. And today they're used for joy and celebration. Mm. So beautiful. I never understood actually that when you said they came from feet in shackles, oh my God, that is so transformational if you want. It's so pretty in its way to beautiful to see even the slave making those moves, finding rhythm during the toughest time. I mean, it's so beautiful in a way. And I never actually looked at it this way. I mean, I, I looked at dance like, yeah, let's go out and have fun, right? So you said there is a theory that you borrowed from the theories of happiness to learn to dance as a beginner. I want that part. Let's talk about this. <laughs> so actually, it's more the other way around. Um, by learning to dance, I embodied many theories of happiness, and I saw how they actually work in practice. Off the paper, away from the presentations, I can give you one example right away. Howard Gardner, who is a, a professor at Harvard University, has a theory of multiple intelligences. I think it came out in the 70s, and, and he was really fighting against this idea of IQ tests, that one person's intelligence cannot be measured only by IQ, and, and his theory of multiple intelligences, yes. I mean, I'm not sure if I could list them all, but I, I ended up in a, in a salsa school in Cali in Colombia, and this school is more of a foundation. It works with people. It started in the early 90s, back when Cali was really the cartel every young person from a disadvantaged background was very likely to be recruited into crime. And so they actually were created as an alternative by bringing young people in to dance and to compete, to give them an alternative mm. from crime, to have a sense of belonging, to have a sense of pride. And so Cali is now the world's salsa capitals. It has the most number of salsa schools and they all compete and they have a huge parade. It's for me, one of the most euphoric, joyful places on the planet. And what I love with this school is they have posters. And imagine the directors, they never got the chance to really study at university. They're from very humble origins. And yet there they are with a Harvard professor's theory on a poster in Spanish explaining, this is how you're going to develop each type of intelligence through dance and how you're going to use different types of skills and competencies that education systems are now trying to figure out how they can put them into practice. And there's a dance school who's already doing it with very little resources. The reason being is this, you need to use an emotional intelligence when you dance with a partner. You need to really care Definitely. for their balance and, and for the connection. 
you need to have spatial intelligence because you need to calculate space. When you take a step, how far are you going to go? You use a kinesthetic intelligence because you're moving your body. You also use mathematical intelligence because you're calculating time and rhythms. Like Absolutely. Beat. It's really fascinating how, I, I mean, anyone who dances salsa or love will tell you, wow, I feel I got smarter. And, and theories show this, that you do become smarter, younger, happier. Uh, people who dance a lot always look much younger than their age. It's really quite fascinating. And, and there's evidence that already shows for, for older people, even among those that are physically active in exercise, those that do partner dancing are reducing their risk of Alzheimer's and dementia by up to 67%, if not higher. Okay. I mean, it is definitely the mix of movement, play, rhythm, happiness, connection. I mean, there's no denying that this actually would work for you, right? I think we can all understand that. That's actually not very complicated to understand. So you took that now in Bailando journey and you're trying to give that to others. Tell me a bit about that. Yes, of course. So after the book, I mean, even before the book came out, I absolutely wanted to share this with others. Many people are scared of learning how to dance. They think, oh, I'll look silly. I have two left feet. I have no rhythm. There are always excuses. I, I can easily believe, relate to this. Yeah, I'm completely. <laughs> you yeah. can dance, Mo. Anyone can dance. It's just about. Don't say that in front of all of my listeners. They'll, they'll hold me accountable. <laughs> now they'll be asking you to dance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I really believe everyone can. I didn't have the best rhythm when I started. It's something I had to learn. It's something I had to practice. The theory of grit, for instance, I very much had to really be disciplined and, and put in consistent all the time. But it was so worth it. It was, mm. it was really, really worth it. And so what I want to share with others is a very non-intimidating way of learning how to dance. So I was organizing dance retreats. I took a group of women to Cuba. I very much like to work with men as well so that they feel more comfortable in their bodies. There really is a huge element of dance really boosts your, your connection to your body in terms of confidence and the way that you express and that you move in other ways than dance as well. With COVID, I had to put those on hold. So I started an online nightclub where I was hosting events to raise funds <laughs> for artists because I could have been teaching myself. But honestly, when I was seeing my my very talented and incredible teachers who were no longer able to work, especially in countries like Cuba, where most people who take classes are foreigners anyway, so and they could no longer travel. So I hosted online events and workshops to raise funds for artists. And now I am about to do my first in-person event with a new method that I have created. And I haven't shared it yet, except with people who were on my retreat, which is a combination of Latin dance and mindfulness. Oh, I love that. So it's called Mindful Latin Flow. And I take all these dance styles and slow them down in slow motion, which I know you would appreciate. Um, <laughs> and everything is slowed down so that you can really feel into your body. And so that's going to come into the world to celebrate International Dance Day, which is on the 29th of April. And I'm really looking forward to, to sharing that with others. I love that. Has this not been done before? I mean, this is exactly the way we play a complex piece on the guitar or something is you just slow it down a little get into the the technique while the rhythm is a little slower and then you go take it back up to the to the right rhythm and and you're done right is that not done in dance so it is done in the for instance i've seen dancers use apps to slow down a song when you're learning a choreography and then eventually speed it up but the method that i've developed i have not seen anyone do Mm. So far, mm. there must be someone in the world who maybe has thought of it, but I, it is my, my creation. I have taken breath work and um, body work and combined it with, with Latin music and a very slow level because I want someone who has never danced before to feel it in their body so that they can understand how, how incredibly powerful it is without the intimidation of going to a class and having to memorize all these things and to actually mm. really savor it in the moment. So this is a really big step. It feels very vulnerable to be sharing this because it's something that I practice at home alone, but it would be selfish of me not to share it with others so that they get to feel that as well. I have to say, me being a, 
a dancer on uh, pause, if you want, you know, have not danced for a long time. It sounds actually quite inviting. I think the the idea of not having to to do it at a, at a slower pace, slow-mo is a very nice idea for most things in my view. And that's on the 29th of April. The event is in, in person in Lisbon on the 30th of, of April, but International uh -huh. Dance Day is the 29th. And I very much hope to do these online as well so that I can open them up to other people who are not here and reach many people around the world. And I'm really looking forward to it. It's, it's going to be really special. And I'm also developing a, a more high energy concept, which I'm calling Happy Feet. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it's with a, because I, I can really, based on my background in happiness research and in social and emotional development, I can really pick out a step and say, when I do that step, I feel this kind of emotion. If I want to feel really peaceful and calm, I'll dance this. If I want to feel high energy and euphoric, I'll do this step. And I, I really want to share that joy with others. So the movement is just one part of what I'm doing, but I do think that it is a very powerful tool that many can benefit from. And I want to make it accessible. I'd love to learn more about that, actually. So I'm, I'm working now on my next book that The Little Voice in Your Head is done. It's out on May 26th. Every part of it is completed. It's edited and everything. The following one, Unstressable, is out in November. And now we are editing it. So we're two thirds of the way through working on a chapter that's called Physically Stressed. And physically stressed, when you describe now the idea of every dance would give you a different feeling, it could put you in your body differently. I think we should collaborate on that. I think we should write a few pages about this. This is something that would be quite eye-opening for people. So we'll talk about this when you guys leave Absolutely. us. <laughs> I think it's an interesting uh, way of doing it. I want to say you're a dream having lived your dream. It's so, so, so inspiring in so many ways. I think in an interesting way, what you share is just the tip of the iceberg of how you probably continue to live your dream. I mean, moving from city to city, being in different ways of expressing yourself from dance to books to teaching others and so on. There seems to be a consistent theme of, I will actually live according to what I dream, how I dream to live. And I think that's really quite inspiring. If I were to ask you to summarize with all of your work, one secret to happiness, one thing that you believe everyone should do, what would that be? To redefine their definition of success and happiness and embody it. To redefine their definition of success and happiness. I am in total agreement and embody it is the difficult part. That's, I think, why you're sharing your story. That's definitely something that we waste a lot of our lives not thinking about, sadly. We normally chase the definition of success that we're told we should chase. Absolutely. And, and actually, I would say that, um, so other than the movement work, I have um, a seven-step framework. And a huge part of that is redefining success. So I use this in my workshops, in my talks. I have a happiness workbook for free that anyone can do that will ask them these big questions. And very soon I have a, my first online course called Redefine Your Happiness, because I think this is the area. People have been chasing the wrong things. They've been thinking, I will be happy when I have that job, that body, that car, that partner, when actually, what is happiness really? I could have continued my career and gone on to have my diplomatic passport and, and been around these panels. And, but ultimately, the happiness for me is dancing in the street, feeling the breeze on my skin, being in the sun, reading a book in silence. I think that we really need to redefine what happiness is for us and then go and embody it. And there are so many ways. Dance is one wonderful tool. For me, it's the most complete. But there are many ways to express ourselves and to allow ourselves to also be us because people define themselves by their jobs way too much. Um, and instead, why don't we define ourselves by our values, by our interests, by what makes our, our heart sing? Mm. I think I will end our conversation there. I think that's the best message ever for people to reconsider. I mean, the truth is we need to redefine our success. I think that last sentence 
define your success by what makes your heart sing. I think that's very, 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 very good advice. I cannot thank you enough for spending time with us. I will absolutely try to stay in touch and learn more. Maybe I'll come to one of your workshops and learn how to dance because I I'll remember, that. remember how to dance. I think that's really important for me. And uh, for sure, I'm very, very grateful that you shared so openly and that you had the courage to take that journey in the first place before you shared it with all of us. And thank you so much for having me. I, I have to say you're one of my happiness heroes in the world. I have oh, some happiness you. heroes and you're one of them. And, and I resonate so much with, with your work and, and your mission. And I'm really excited to see these books and the book after next because you're always two books ahead. So I, sadly, you said redefine success. So instead of selling million dollar deals and billion dollar deals, like I did most of my life, success now is three hours a day of the joy of writing. That's all I look for. Actually, I don't, I don't even want to release another book, but if you write and then there is a book ready, might as well release it. And that so well. that's my definition now. It's very straightforward. Yeah, I think it's wonderful. And, and I think mm -hmm. that you're, you're transmit, you're really in your role of transmitting this important message because the world would be a much better place if everyone put their happiness first. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So for all of you listening, the world would be a much better place if you're a little happier. So I think we've discussed a very inspiring story today. It doesn't have to be a shift in your career, but maybe a break or maybe afternoons where you do something that you're really passionate about. But it seems to me that living our passions, doing something that makes our hearts sing is a big part of uh, how we should live our lives every day. I remind you that we now, if you're listening, the podcast that we now have a video as well available on my official channel on YouTube, Mo Gaudet Official. And if you're listening, if you're joining us on YouTube, you might as well click to subscribe so that you get informed every time we have a new uh, podcast released. And um, as I always say, you guys give me the biggest alibi, the best alibi to meet so many wonderful, amazing people who become my close friends and enrich my life. It's all thanks to you and thank you for listening. And uh, I would remind you that, yeah, our life is busy and fast paced and challenging, but you know what? There's always a tiny bit of time to dance, not necessarily just slow down. I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.